We are in the middle of working our way through uh, the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, we're going to wrap up first, uh, the first chapter of Second Samuel this morning. And as, as God's people, as we uh, encounter Him in His Word, to be uh, responsible and faithful readers and listeners of God's Word, uh, as we've seen particularly as it re- relates to the books of First and Second Samuel, it means that we need to be prepared for the coming of God's King and His kingdom. Uh, we saw last week that what that uh, looked like was uh, mourning and grieving sin in the midst of God's people and also uh, fearing to sin ourselves, hating our sin. Uh, this morning, uh, as, uh, as we continue journeying our way through, uh, through 2 Samuel, uh, we're going to, again, be faced with uh, how, as God's people, uh, we respond and live uh, with our allegiance to God's anointed and chosen King, uh, Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who is coming to redeem and renew and restore all things to its created intention and purpose. So if you would, look with me. In the book of Second uh, Samuel, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 254. We're going to look at verses 17 through 27 together this morning. I remember last week uh, what occurred. Uh, David got word and news that Saul and Jonathan uh, had been killed uh, by the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. This morning we are going to see uh, more intentionally uh, the mourning that takes place uh, in the heart uh, of, of David with the news of their death. So, if you would, uh, follow along with me here uh, in God's Word, verses 17 through 27 of Second Samuel. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son, And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You, mountains of Gilboa, Let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Let's pray.
God, your testimonies are sure and true. Uh, your word is pure and righteous and lovely altogether. Uh, we pray this morning as your people uh, that you would give us uh, uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, uh, minds to understand, and hearts to embrace uh, the good news uh, of the gospel as proclaimed and demonstrated in your word. Uh, we pray that you would uh, draw us closer to yourself, uh, that we would cling and hope and rest uh, in your true and sure testimony, in your good and faithful promises, in the word of God given to the people of God. Uh, Holy Spirit, be at work this morning. Uh, open up my mouth to communicate rightly and in a Christ-honoring way the truths you would have for us this morning from this passage of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, kids, if you want to track along with uh, some of the key words from the sermon this morning, there's three of them you can listen, listen for. Uh, you can listen for uh, uh, honor, you can listen for glory, and you can listen for grace. Honor, glory, and grace. Um, as you think about a practice that uh, many cultures uh, across the world have, it's one of, of setting up and making memorials. Memorials to people. Um, in fact, if you go to our, our, our nation's capital, you go around, there's not just a lot of museums you can go visit, but there's tons of memorials that you can go see uh, that are set up to, uh, to individuals or to large groups of people. Now, what's the purpose of setting up and building these, uh, these monuments? It's, it's to remember those that the, the monument draws to our memory, but there's another reason. It's to, to honor them, who they are and what they have done. We see in our passage this morning that David has composed uh, not uh, a, a memorial or a monument made out of, of stone uh, or some other type of, of material substance, but a memorial of lament to honor God's anointed one. It's the first thing we see that this passage is seeking to teach us is that that call for God's people to be those who are honoring the anointed of God. Remember what we saw last week when David got word of Saul's death, it told us back over in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1 uh, that he and the men with him, they tore their clothes as a sign of mourning, and then they ex spent the rest of the day weeping and fasting over Saul's loss. An immediate response. But as we enter into this chapter, we see a different aspect of that mourning. David has composed this lament. He's been intentional and deliberate to write down these particular words of mourning over the death of Saul in a, in a poetic form. Why, why would he go to, to those lengths? Well, it's because he is seeking to honor God's anointed one. Remember, Saul was definitely a, a wicked and cruel and unfaithful man. 
But he was the anointed of God. God set him over his people and God's authorized prophet Samuel marked and designated Saul as being the anointed ruler of God's people. And here, David, reflecting on Saul's death, the death of Jonathan, has intentionally set out to write down this lament in what many would describe as one of the, uh, one of the great examples of poetry in the Old Testament. David is seeking to honor the anointed one of God. But as we read and see here, what we see is that this wasn't just something that was, was on David's heart. That his expectation would be that this is something that he's setting aside as being David's way of honoring Saul. Do you notice what it tells us at the beginning? In verse 18, says, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. David is saying, look, this isn't just for me. I'm recording and writing it down because I want the people who are a part of the tribe that I come from to know and learn and commit this lamentation to heart. Why? Saul was a Benjamite. Saul was unfaithful. Saul refused to recognize the rightful rule of the man from Judah that God set over his people. Why? Why does David want the people of Judah to learn this lament over this wicked, unfaithful Benjamite. That's because what David wants to work and what God wants to work in the hearts of his people is that we are called to honor God's anointed, both in life and in death. David wants God's people to understand that regardless of how this man performed, It is God who set him on the throne. And because he has this unique role and this unique position that has been given him of God, we owe him honor. This is going to be important moving forward for God's people. Because after this, we're going to see there is going to be a a struggle for who becomes the king. And it's going to be a great delay before David uh, assumes the rule over the entirety of God's people. But from the beginning, what he wants his people to understand is whether the, the anointed one of God lives faithfully or not, our hearts and our allegiance, our prayer, we should be seeking to honor him. In fact, we see David give an example of what it looks like to extend honor to the anointed one of God by highlighting Jonathan. Notice, as it closes out, verse 26, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. 
how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Some people read this and think that this is uh, support for claiming that the relationship that David and Jonathan had was homosexual in nature. That's actually the farthest from the truth that it, it, it could be. Uh, the, the language of love and of, uh, of close relationships like this and using this terminology was very common uh, in uh, political uh, and covenantal relationships and talking in the ancient Near East and in Israel to speak of these political relationships uh, and governmental relationships of one that talks about love and connection and loyalty. And David here is seeking to bring out and highlight the extreme loyalty and allegiance that Jonathan extended to him. Do you remember how we saw that play out in Jonathan's life? Jonathan was definitely committed to his father. We see David bring uh, notice to that up in verse 23. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. Jonathan stood beside his father, walked faithfully with him, fighting with his father on behalf of the people of God. Do you remember how Jonathan responded when he knew and understood that as heir apparent, he was not going to become the next anointed of God? The kingdom wasn't coming his way. It was being passed to someone else due to his father's sin, the people's rebellion, as God said, it was going to go to David. And what Jonathan did was he took off the, the marks and the symbols of his claim to the throne and passed it on to David. And he supported and sought to protect David. And even when David struggled, he reminded David of the promises of God that God has said, you will take the throne. David is pointing us to Jonathan as an example of one who sought to give honor to the anointed of God, both his father and David as the one who would come by setting aside his claims and seeking to give his allegiance and his honor in life and in death. Think, think about it. I mean, the, the things that, that David writes here and who it is that David is honoring, it's Saul. We remember and see... There's very few places in all of 1 Samuel that we can go and point to and see Saul is acting faithfully here. He's acting as the king of Israel should, one who is a model of righteousness and faithfulness and trust. Now, Saul is about as unfaithful as it gets in the Scriptures. But David says this wicked man, because he is the anointed of God, deserves our honor. And we should follow him in life. And in death, saw David model that. But, but also by writing this, David is beginning to, to instill in the hearts of God's people what it looks like for them to follow the anointed of God. He's preparing the people of Judah now by singing this song that would begin to shape them as they sung it, as they recited it and reminded one another of it. If this was how we were to honor Saul, how much more so should we extend honor to David? Who, we will acknowledge, even though he's from Judah, he has his faults. 
He's acted foolishly. He's acted unfaithfully. But he, when he sees and understands his sin, he repents and he flees to God. And he is the anointed one chosen of God to rule over us. Does he not deserve our honor due to the position God has given him? And that would come for any subsequent king that would descend from David. That David is seeking to work this in the hearts of his people. If that's the case, if that's the case of the Old Testament church, that honor should go to God's anointed, to sinful, rebellious, and unfaithful men. What about us now? The church of God. Who is the anointed one? who sits on the throne now and who rules over you and rules over me and rules over all things. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the perfect one. God, who humbled himself, as Tim reminded us this morning, taking on flesh, entering into our world. And how did he live out life as a human? Perfectly. He did not sin in the least. No thought, no desire, no intention. He always perfectly followed the will of his Father, living out faithfully what it looks like to walk with and to be a righteous king over the people of God. You see, as we look at this psalm, This lament in this part of 2 Samuel, it causes us to think and compare and contrast the anointed ones that we are encountering in 1 and 2 Samuel to the true one, David's greater son who has come. Do we as his people not owe him all honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving? What a... What about you and me? We see here, what has David done? He, he take, he's taken time to intentionally and with, with focus to think about how to honor the anointed one of God. Do we take time to do that as we consider the greatness of Jesus, our King? To intentionally think about how can I communicate and speak with my mouth, with my words, with things that I write down, how worthy of praise and honor and glory he is, what he means to me. Do I communicate that and share it and speak it back to him? Share it with my brothers and sisters in the Lord, that they too might be reminded and look and, and see His greatness and His beauty. But remember, we're not just called to honor Jesus with our mouths, are we? But our lives. Are we living lives as those who are citizens of the kingdom of our God and of His Christ? Is everything that we're seeking to to live and do in the world that we carry out done for His praise, for His honor, for His glory? Isn't that why we've been redeemed? Isn't that why we have been saved? That's what we were created for. 
And now our King in His grace and His mercy has subdued us to Himself. And we kneel in allegiance to our Savior who would give Himself to redeem you and me, the people of God. As we anticipate and look forward to the coming of His King, and His kingdom should be those that seek to honor the anointed of God. Not just called to honor the anointed of God, though. We're also called to spread the glory of God. As David gets word and news of Saul's death, and he composes this lament, notice what he said in verse 19 and 20. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. David doesn't want this news spread of Saul's death. Gath was one of the leading cities in Philistia as was Ashkelon. Here, David is saying, people of Israel, don't go spreading this word there. Why does David not want the word spread? Do you remember what happened? Back over in chapter 31, when Saul was slaughtered and Jonathan was killed, what the, the Philistines did? They took their heads off mounted it on the wall so that all would see to bring dishonor to God's king and his people. They, they took the armor that they could get. And where did they take it? They took it to their temple. Why? Because the defeat of God's king and his death didn't just mean we were more powerful than him. Well, we were more powerful than his people. It means in their thinking that our God is more powerful than His God. And so now we're going to take these trophies of war and take them to our God and we are going to announce and proclaim Saul's death. We are going to announce and proclaim how great Dagon is over the God of Israel, that weakling of a God. That God who has no power over our chariots or our arrows. Who couldn't even keep his king alive. Why trust in him? All honor, all glory, all praise be given to Dagon, the God of the Philistines, and down with the God of Israel. You see, it's an opportunity to ridicule and to to tarnish the glory of the one true and living God. David says, what I don't want you to do is to communicate and spread and share the news of the death of the anointed one. It's it's very interesting, though, that that mindset and that thinking changes drastically when we get to the New Testament, doesn't it? When Jesus 
comes around. Jesus who lived and who died. And in fact, as, as Jesus was telling his disciples that that is why he came to, to live, to be betrayed, to suffer, to die, they rebuked him for it. Because they're still in this old mindset. The anointed one, the Christ, dead? Are you serious, Jesus? There's no way that will glorify God. There's no way that will bring about the restoration of all things. Yet after Jesus' death and after his resurrection, what you see Jesus' authorized spokespeople saying is things like this. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The message that we proclaim and we speak is that Jesus died for sinners. What's the difference? Why now? Are we encouraged to communicate and spread and share to the nations? To those outside of the people of God. That's what that language of uncircumcised means. Contrasting the people of Israel with those of the nations. But now the message is what? Jesus says, all all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore making disciples, proclaiming to the nations that I am the one true and living God, announcing my death to the world. Why? Because unlike the death of Saul that led to dishonor, the death of Jesus demonstrates and shows the glory of our God. Because the death of Jesus brought about the victory and deliverance and the freedom of his people. You see, Jesus is much more superior to Saul, to David. The death of those men meant dishonor of God's name among the nations. They they didn't understand the implications of their decisions, of their unfaithfulness, and what it would mean to the world. But we now have one who rules and who has come. And his death brings about deliverance and victory and salvation for the people of God. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt was 39, he came, he was struck with polio and it left him paralyzed from the legs down. When it first happened, he withdrew from, uh, from political life for a while as he tried to recover. But when he came back, he did all that he could to try to hide his weakness, his disability, the fact that he couldn't walk, blacking out the, the supports that were on his legs, Limiting any types of photographs that would be made of him in a wheelchair. Always making sure he had something to hold on to when he was in front of the public. So it looked like he was one who was strong and who was capable and who could lead the people. You see, at that time, the perception was is that a, uh, a weakness like that would be seen as taking away from the glory of the office of the President of the United States and of our nation. But it's interesting now, as you go to the FDR Memorial in D.C., what do you see? You see him sitting in his wheelchair. Because it was actually that that weakness 
that demonstrated and shown his great strength. And Jesus Christ, the one who became weak for you and me, far surpasses any human ruler there's ever been. And we now, as the people of God, who have been beneficiaries of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, are those who have been called to, unlike David first announced, to not spread it. It is our privilege. It is our honor. It is our purpose to proclaim the good news of the message that the anointed one of God, Jesus of Nazareth, has died to save sinners and he's risen to give new life. We're called to honor the anointed of God. We're called to spread the glory of God. And lastly, we're called to recognize the grace of God. As we read this lament, did you notice anything that was left out of the memory of Saul that David puts forth for us? I mean, he highlights a lot of stuff. In verse 19, as he's describing Saul and Jonathan, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Saul and Jonathan are described as being the glory of Israel. Over and over, they're described as being the mighty. That's repeated multiple times in verse 19, how the mighty have fallen. In verse 21, it tells about uh, the shield of the mighty being defiled. In verse 25, again, it's repeated about the mighty have fallen. And then again, at the end, David's pointing to their, uh, their military might and strength and ability, both Jonathan and Saul. Drawing attention to that over and over. Their skill in verse 23, that they're swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. The bow that Jonathan pulled back in verse 22 and the sword that Saul slung always, for the most part, brought about deliverance for God's people when they used it. Then even in verse 24, in contrast to not wanting the, the, the daughters of the Philistines to exult and proclaim uh, and celebrate the death of God's anointed. In verse 24, David wants the daughters of Israel to do something different. He wants them to weep. To weep over Saul. Why? He says, because he clothed you luxuriously in scarlet and put ornaments of gold on your apparel. He's drawing attention to the economic provision and flourishing that Saul's reign brought to the people of God in various ways. What of the wickedness? What of the unfaithfulness? What about the multiple attempts to bring David and his followers to death? What about that time Saul tried to kill his own son? David doesn't bring that up. Because here, David is viewing this as an opportunity to highlight the grace of God. Where did this military might and power come from? Where did the provision come from? Do you not remember that when Saul was anointed king, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? 
Don't confuse this with your understanding of the Holy Spirit's work and the, uh, and the, the uh, as far as one that, that regenerates and brings dead hearts to life so that they can believe and embrace the good news of the gospel. This is work of the Spirit is one that enables God's people to carry out the work that He's intended them and called them to do. It's God's provision on this anointed one that brought about this work among His people. An unfaithful, wicked man. An unfaithful people. For the reason Saul was ruling over them is because they had rejected God as being their king. Yet in His grace and His mercy, God still uses and works through this man to bring about victory and deliverance and salvation for His people from time to time. He still uses this man to bring about flourishing and blessing and care on His unfaithful people. Who? Who is this God? What did they deserve? Rejection. They deserve the worst king God could possibly give them that would lead them to loss and destruction. But no. The God we serve is one who gives His people much, much more than we ever deserve. He extends His undeserved favor upon us. And where do we see that more than in the gift of His Son? What did we deserve for our rebellion? We deserve eternal separation and rejection from our God. But what does He do? He takes on flesh Himself. He enters into our world. He achieves victory for us. He takes our punishment. He takes our condemnation. And in exchange, we get salvation and forgiveness and deliverance now and forevermore. Who is this God? Why give sinful people grace like this? It's not because we deserve it. It's not because of anything we've done. It's because of His great love and His mercy. This is the God who has saved and called us. This is the kingdom that is coming as God's people. Should we not respond and prepare for the coming of this King by honoring the Anointed One of God. Of spreading the glory of God throughout the world. And of recognizing and celebrating the grace of God that has been extended to us, His people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good, good news of the Gospel. 
We thank You, Jesus, for Your life, Your death, Your resurrection. We pray. You know our hearts. You know how we struggle. Would You continue to point us to Yourself. May we see how sufficient You are. May our hearts not look to or long for anyone or anything else other than You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Jesus is on His way to do what was really unthinkable for His followers. To give Himself over to suffering and death at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans. Jesus was eating with His disciples and He took bread and He broke it and He said, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. The same way after the supper, Christ took the cup and He blessed it. And He said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim My death until I return. Spread it not in Gath. Announce it not in the streets of Ashkelon. But now that Jesus rules and reigns, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, what we are called to do is to remember and proclaim that Christ's body was broken and His blood was shed out. That He died for you, His people. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Are you looking to Jesus and only Jesus as the one who can redeem and deliver you from your sin? If so, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you are placing your faith in Christ, if you've been marked at the waters of baptism and admitted to Christ's table by those who have authority in His church, we invite you to please come. Come and eat. Come and feast. Come and celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ on your behalf. If that doesn't describe you, you would say, yeah, I've not placed my faith in Jesus. I'm still really trying to figure out who He is and who I am. Instead of eating with us this morning, I would encourage you to look in the insert of your worship guide. There's some prayers there to consider. Ask our God to open up your heart and reveal what is true. What's true about you, what's true about Him, what's true about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Let me pray for us. Um, if you're eating with us, um, after I pray, you're, you can come forward to be served. Um, as everyone's being served, uh, we can sing along to uh, uh, the Come for the Feast is Spread that our music team will lead us through. Uh, we'll wait until everyone's served before we eat and, uh, and drink together. I'll lead us in doing that. Um, uh, just as a reminder, the frosted uh, cups on the outside have grape juice. The clear, uh, the clear cups in the, in the middle have wine. Um, and we'll wait until everyone's served. Let me pray and you can come forward. Jesus, the anointed one, the risen one,
the ruling and reigning one. We thank you uh, for your death on our behalf. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. We pray that now, Holy Spirit, as we feast upon by faith our risen King, as you nourish us, would you strengthen our faith that we would be able to honor Him, to spread His glory, to recognize and see His grace. Enable us to walk faithfully with Him as we await His return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please come forward and be served. Come for the feast is spread. Mark to the call. Come to the living bread. Offered up to all, come to his house of wine. Though on his breast recline, all that he has is thine. Come, Christian, come. Come, our victory's won. Come to the living bread. Come for the feast is spread. River of life, healing for all thy woes, doubting and strife, millions have been supplied. No one was there denied. Come to the crimson tide. Come, Christian, come. Your victory's won. Come to the living bread. Come for the feast is spread. Throne of grace, only draw near. He who would win the race must tarry here. Whoever that one may be. Here is the grace for thee, Jesus, thine only plea. Come, Christian, come. Your victory's won. Come to the living bread. Come for the feast is spread. Christian, come, your victory's won, come to the living bread, come for the feast is spread. To the call, come to the living bread, offered up to all, come to his house of wine. Though on his breast recline, all that he has is thine. 
come, Christian, come. Your victory's won. Come to the living bread. Come for the feast is spread. Healing for all thy woes, doubting and strife, against have been supplied. No one was there denied. Come to the crimson tide. Come, Christian, come. Your victory's won. Come to the living bread, come for the feast is spread. Hear the good news of the gospel. The glory of our God proclaimed to you as people that the body of Christ was broken for you. Take and eat. Recognize the grace of our God. That you and me, the rebels that we were, now feast at his table as his invited and beloved guests. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Take and drink. Jesus, we thank you for faithfully feeding us uh, from the food of your scriptures, spiritually feeding us by faith from yourself through the Lord's Supper. We pray and ask that you would continue your great work in us, that our hearts would more and more crave for and long for you to anticipate, to be prepared for, and to live faithfully in light of your sure and definite return. For your glory and your honor, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final song.
into his presence. He has blessed and refreshed and renewed us with himself. And now he sends us out with this charge. Honor Jesus, the anointed one whose death brings us freedom and whose resurrection brings us life. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, if you would, please reach out your hands to receive the benediction of the Lord from Colossians and 2 Corinthians. Now to you who have died, been buried, and have been raised in Christ, and whose life has been hidden in Christ, and who will be revealed with Him in glory, go, knowing that it is your, by your faith that you stand firm, and by His life that is at work in you. Go in His grace and in His peace. Amen. You return your cups here to the front, and please join us next door for our potluck. Good to see you, bud. Your first week go good? At school? Good, good. It's good to hear. Always good news. Y'all gonna stay for potluck? Yeah. Good, cool. I'll see you next door in a little bit, okay? How's it going, fellas? Hey, Jason. What's your name? Caleb. Caleb. Ryan. Ryan. Garrett. Garrett. Cool. Where are you guys from? Oh, Culpeper. Oh, vacation. Nice. We uh, before we moved down here, we were um in King George, Virginia. So drive through Fredericksburg and just keep going, and we were over there. So we're close to Fredericksburg. Okay. Y'all in school up there or out or what? Oh, well, yeah, I work at Corporate Chick fil A actually. Oh, nice. He lives in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm oh, you're in Atlanta. Yeah, I live in Lynchburg. Okay. He lives in Culpeper. Oh, you're a Culpeper. Okay. <laughs> so, how do you guys know each other? Well, we're all uh, from Culpeper. Oh, oh Culpeper originally. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm in school. He's graduated. Okay. I'm in yeah, school, school as well. So. Okay. Yeah. Both at Liberty? I'm at Liberty. I go to a um, university in uh, Utah. Okay. Online. Okay. All right. So where's uh, where are we all vacationing? Uh, out of Vegas. Vegas. So we're at Corolla. Oh, yeah. so y'all drove all the way here from Corolla today. Yeah. Oh wow. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys? You y'all go to PCA Church in Cold Pepper, or what brought you? Yeah, well, in Atlanta, I go to, uh, it's a forest Okay. Uh, it's part of the FCC. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it's a free church continuing in Ireland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so I got to... Okay. Back, but anyway, so. Nice. Yeah, good. Okay. I kind of attend online. Okay. Way. I don't have a church around me. So okay. I have an RPCNA, that's probably the closest thing uh, to me. Uh, okay. Are both of those... Psalms only? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 All right. And uh, is it? Um, I can't remember. Is it? Uh, 
uh, no instrumentation, or depending on which. Yeah, acapella. Okay. Yep. Great. So yeah. Acapella, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll have to find something close. Yeah, we were trying to find something, something a church to go to, kind of close by, but there wasn't many. So yeah, there's, there's not a. Uh, I couldn't tell you where the closest. RPCNA church or yeah. around here. Well, yeah, you know, we could always watch online, you know, or something like that. But you know, for the Lord's Day, figure you know, yeah. I'd rather go in person. So. Yeah, yeah. It's always nice to be around people as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We're yeah, when we planted here, the closest PCA church and or Reformed church, just in general, to Elizabeth City from here, you have to drive a hundred miles yeah. even further. So fun. Wow. So yeah. So yeah. Right. So, yeah we, we have a uh, yeah. There was a one church. Uh, well, we have a congregation in North Carolina, but it's like four and a half hours. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I was really really grateful to be able to, yeah. to visit here. Yeah. So, Sorry if our non psalm exclusivity, oh, no. but <laughs> yeah, okay. I've been. <laughs> we've been. Uh, some Sundays we have more psalms that we sing. We're in okay. trying to uh, include and develop more to be sung here. So it's something we're desiring to do, but it just well, hasn't. I would certainly encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. the psalms. So yeah. I love, just love to sing the psalms. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. right. <laughs> you guys heading back quickly? Are you able to stay for potluck? or? Yeah, kind of weren't sure. We weren't sure. Well, I think my mother might have uh, lunch, okay. lunch coming back, but yeah. So I think we were still trying to figure out. I want to be averse, but yeah, it's up. It's up to you guys. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're able to stay, we'd love to have you. But if you got mom cooking back home, I get that too. So, okay. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Good to have you guys. All right.